0: Well, I did promise to keep my remarks brief. We'll see how I do. (laughs) Kate read to you the account from Luke about the nativity. And what I think is interesting, you know, this was someone born not into luxury. Today we would think of it not as part of the 1%. And yet his message, I think, has endured in a way that few other people through the ages, maybe the Buddha... Uh, Maybe one or two other people's messages of hope and peace endure in such a way as Jesus. He was called the Prince of Peace, and I want to focus a little bit on that idea of peace and his message of peace tonight. But you know what's interesting? The title the Prince of Peace uh, didn't originate in the New Testament at all. It was talked about as uh, the person in the Old Testament that would fill the prophecy of the Messiah. So if you look in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he he will be called the wonderful counselor the mighty god part of the everlasting father and the prince of peace and so before jesus was even born the people were expecting something great from this person and with the moniker if you will of the prince of peace you can imagine that much of his life was dedicated to the teachings of love of peace And even though he was the rabble rouser, um, he wasn't one to lie down and and take inequities uh, uh, without a good fight. His good fights were not physical ones. So when we talk about the Prince of Peace, when we talk about the idea of even the nativity, I think sometimes today we get confused because the world isn't all that much different a couple thousand years later, there are still factions of people fighting one another. There are still the the ninety nine percent that seem to have uh, uh, the one percent of the uh, of the goods on the planet. There's still a huge inequity in places of of living and styles of living, of medical care, you name it. In some ways, of course, we're tremendously better. I, I mean, technology is here, uh, and yet the inequities in the world, the the Uh, Places that don't look so peaceful in the world are probably just as big now as they were back in that time. And to talk about the nativity in modern times, I've managed to find a little bit of a joke for us. (laughs) This is the true meaning of the nativity. And hopefully it will help me to illustrate something here. So the other night, three-year-old Billy was showing the terracotta nativity scene in his living room to his stuffed dragon. This is an activity scene," he said to the dragon. "It's when they put very breakable things out to watch the baby Jesus sleep. <laughs> and uh, and you know what? I think we've got mixed up a little bit on our own. I think it's not just the three-year-olds that are misunderstanding the essential message of peace, of love. And of joy that comes out of the birth of the Christ consciousness. And I also think that he gave us the recipe for success. Now it would be one thing to say that Jesus had tried uh, throughout his life. And his uh, apostles after him and Christians after him to bring about peace. And we've been a dismal failure at it. That would be one way to look at it. But you know I choose to not go there. I choose to think that he gave us the tools for a lasting and permanent peace on earth if we but pick them up. And so I want to spend just a little bit more time today talking about his teachings around the idea of peace. And so I want to quote from Matthew 13, 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour. She worked it and she worked it until it was all through the dough. Now, many of you might not be familiar with the writing style or the lecture style of the parable. And so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. And in fact, in the same chapter of Matthew, Jesus himself talks about parables. He says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. The idea being that a parable is on multiple levels. There's the superficial level or the physical level, but then of course there is the hidden, the eternal, the spiritual meaning behind it. So let's look at this parable of the heaven is like yeast. And uh, if you don't mind, uh, (laughs) I'm gonna delve into Martha Stewart living here for a minute. (laughs) Not that long ago, I was watching classic Martha on TV. Remember some of the early episodes where she looked older than she does now? Some of the episodes where she was actually doing the cooking herself, and and where there wasn't a team of a thousand people backing her up. Well, I was watching the the Christmas episode on her with Big Martha. Remember her mom's name Martha too. And so right on the show, when Big Martha would come on, they would call each other Little Martha and Big Martha. It was very very corny, very sweet. Anyway, Big Martha was teaching Martha. <laughs> How to Make the Christmas Stolen. So so they're from Germany. And in fact, Big Martha was born in Germany. And one of the, the traditions of their family was to make this beautiful bread called stolen. Well, you could see in the episode, the two of them were not exactly eye to eye on things. And in fact, the, one could imagine during some of the cuts, maybe... Big Martha was doing a bit of talking to little Martha because every now and then you would see one of them was kind of red, and you're kind of wondering well how did how did she get red and you're picturing off camera things were going on right. But anyway, I think the the upset of this was that it was taking a lot longer, that they were kneading this bread and putting it back in the bowl, and then it would cut away. Well, you know, they can't make something like that in a half-hour TV show, right? Any of those cooking shows, they've actually made the whatever it is in four or five stages. And so, you know, they put it in the oven, and then magically one is already cooked over here, so they take it out of the oven. And that's kind of what was happening in this episode. And I think some of the red faces were the stolen wasn't rising the way they had hoped, so that they could illustrate. And the reason for this, of course, is you can't just dump yeast on the top of the flour and hope that something good's going to happen from it. It takes some work. It takes some moving with the bread until it gets to the right consistency. You put it in a bowl. You put it in a warm, moist environment. The yeast works through it, but that's not the end of the story. You actually have to work on it some more. You punch it down. You get it going some more. Put it in that warm spot again. The yeast works a little bit more. Still not done. And In this episode, I think it wasn't done well beyond when either of them thought it was ready. Finally, though, the stolen is done. It goes into the oven, and oh my gosh, it looked stunning. They had braided it into something that almost looks like a wreath. It was just gorgeous. And of course, the, the two of them at the end are slicing into it and, and having it with a bit of butter, and oh, they looked most, most satisfied. So that's the physical interpretation of the parable, right? That's how yeast works. It requires a little work. You just don't put it in the bowl, put the yeast on top of it, and hope for the best. I think that's our trouble when we pray for things like world peace. I think that's the trouble with when we have such great intentions for ourselves on this planet. It's as though we we take the ingredients for it, put it in a bowl... And just put the yeast on top and walk away. It requires some effort. It requires going back to it. It requires our effort of love and putting it in the right environment, you know, like the bread needed to be warm and in a moist environment for for peace to come about. We have to not only provide the ingredients for it, but the atmosphere for it. It requires more than just us thinking it would be nice. I think this is his recipe, this is Jesus' recipe for bringing peace on earth. It, It isn't that we don't understand kindness. It isn't that we're unfamiliar with compassion. It isn't that we don't know how to love. We somehow think that just by knowing those things, peace will naturally come about. But too often we forget, too, too often like the New Year's resolutions that sound like a great idea, and three days later the membership to the gym you know, goes on the wayside, or, or three days later, hmm, funny, there's cigarettes in the house again, how did that happen? I think that's the way that it works with our resolutions around things, even the important things, even the life-changing things, like peace. So I want to read the parable one more time. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The yeast that a woman took and mixed and mixed and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. If we want peace on earth, we need to mix We can't just let the ingredients sit there. We need to provide the right environment. We need to be committed to eating that beautiful German bread at the end of it. We need to know that it's possible. We need to know the beauty of it when it's complete. And we need to hold it in our heart, not just once a year, not just on Christmas Eve, but every day. Every day it has to call to us what it means to be a person of peace. And whether it's in our workplace, whether it's in our own homes, whether it's with friends or family or perfect strangers that we've never met thousands of miles from here, we have to stand for peace every day. I look forward to a time when instead of investing millions of dollars into weaponry, we put even a tenth of that into diplomacy that instead of teaching people how to fight or be in compact or ever more careful ways of killing people, I mean, now we strategically can send unmanned aircraft. And, and what's the, the... You guys probably know the word. There's some strategic strike thing that we can do where very few people are killed. And, and is this supposed to make me feel better about it? I don't know that it does. I don't think that us getting more surgically accurate at killing people is a good thing. But what I do know is that over 2,000 years ago, a man gave us a recipe for success, a true recipe for peace on earth. It begins in every human heart. It can begin here tonight. And it's no more difficult than knowing that we need to work at it a little bit, that we need to put our effort into it every day, That it may not happen overnight. (laughs) One can only imagine what Big Martha and Little Martha were doing when the camera would stop and they'd wait 10 minutes to see if the bread had risen. I I don't know, maybe they were having martinis for all I know. (laughs) But what what I do know is that they persisted in something as simple as a holiday bread, even though it took way longer and was way more difficult, because they knew the end result would be worth it. And there is nothing worth more to me, I think, on this Christmas Eve than the thought of true and lasting world peace. I think it's possible. I think we could see it in our own lifetimes if we remember just a few things. To see peace, we must work for peace. To see joy, we must become joyous. To feel love, we must become love. Every day with each person we encounter, even the hard situations, even the people that sometimes seem unlovable, if we stand for things, if we persist with the, the yeast of our, of our love and our heart, we will have something to show for it that is most magnificent. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for sharing your Christmas Eve with us.